almost all of them would say, this is the food my grandmother makes. It's no longer like anything of modern Bangkok. And for me, I felt as though it was a golden opportunity, learning the flavors and understanding the flavors of what each dish needs to be. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The art of butchery is one that many chefs try to master to enhance their knowledge in the kitchen and better understand the ingredients they're cooking with. How vital is the craft of butchery to a role as a chef? Eric Quek is the head chef of Mr. Tompkins in Melbourne. Eric, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. It's great to get you on the show. How are things in Melbourne at the moment? Um, yeah, it's good. Um, look, it's starting to pick up right now because, um, I mean, we're just entering into spring, so we're starting yeah. to get really busy. Tell us a little bit about Mr. Tompkins. Well, um, Mr. Tompkins is uh, a restaurant, a signature restaurant for the Rendezvous Hotel. Um, we wanted to do uh, European classics with a twist. So, um, essentially, what we're doing is European dishes. And I've decided to bring uh, a bit of an Australian native twist um, to a lot of our dishes. Europe is huge with all sorts of different cultures and cuisines. Give us an, give us an idea with a couple of dishes that, to sort of give us an idea of what you're doing there in regards to European cuisine. Um, yeah, so we do a lot of um, like the classic uh, West, West Europe uh, dishes, like uh, a lot of French dishes, classic English dishes. Um, we do things like, um, you know, slow stewed pork cheeks, you know, things that um, Nonna would make, that kind of thing. And uh, we also do, um, we do a couple of pastas. We also do um, classic uh, pan-seared fish. Um, just really the, the basis of European cookery. And we add a nice native twist to it. Amazing. Tell us a little bit about this native twist that you're adding to these dishes. Is there some examples you have? Um, yeah. So, um, as I spoke earlier about the, um, the pork cheeks, uh, what we do is that we actually add, um, usually you would add like a very nice classic glaze onto it, uh, like a jus or something. Um, for us, we've decided to go with like a native kwandongs um, and yeah, so they, they're really like a desert peach almost. That's um, It's a stone fruit. And um, so we pick through them, we puree it, and we make it into a glaze. And it's really, really tart. We balance it with like native honey and um, some sugar. And we glaze it on top of the pork cheek. So it's almost like uh, a really savory uh, pork dish with a really super tart um, native twist to it, which is the kwandongs. What's it been like for you in the kitchen, sort of navigating sort of native ingredients with these classic European techniques? Has it had its challenges to get it right? Um, it's it's surprisingly come quite naturally for me. Um, yeah, um, because um, I picked up hunting probably about six, seven years ago. I spent a lot of time in the bush. And through spending all that time in the bush, I've actually picked up uh, learning about a lot of these native ingredients. And uh, yeah, so um, we do find like uh, native rose hips and all that kind of stuff. And I would often pick that kind of stuff. Um, I would find mushrooms and decide to look deeper into foraging for mushrooms. And I've just incorporated that into a lot of our menu. 
And um, yeah, it's just been, it's a very easy transition for me. So um, what I've done is that uh, I would think of classic pairings with, let's say, rich, savory dishes or even like a river fish. Like um, we do our, our Murray cod and we serve it in um, like a classic uh, creamy sauce. And, it's, and we serve it with uh, macadamia nuts. And see, back home in Singapore, uh, we always have fish wrapped in banana leaves. And it's true that um, almost that experience that I've learned that maybe I can look for something that is almost like a replica of what I would do uh, back home. So I found out that um, there are uh, like indigenous uh, Aboriginal people who would actually wrap uh, fish and meat in paper bark and chuck it on top of fire and almost smoke and steam it in the flavors of paper bark. And that's how I usually transition those dishes from experiences I've had back home to what I would apply to uh, in our menu right now. That's fascinating, um, that discovery that you found. But tell us a little bit about the hunting. When did, when did that all start? And is there sort of one expedition that you can tell us about that you went on that really opened your eyes? Um, yeah, I can, I, can name, um, yeah, I can name one. Um, so I, I do a fair bit of hunting in Victoria. And uh, one of the places I do hunt is the Shrefbogie Ranges. Um, I, class, I usually just go after deer and I hunt with a bull. Um, yeah, so um, I do a fair bit of walking, um, and we walk through a lot of these um, like uh, ravines and uh, thick bush. And usually, where you would find deer bedded down or grazing is right among the thicks of um, a blackberry bush, and it's a huge problem in the state forest actually. So, and then I thought about the fact that. Um, berries would actually, uh, tart berries would actually pair really well with uh, things like venison, which is gamey and rich flavored meats. And um, that is really how I would come up with a dish like that. And um, yeah, and very often I would also be in the bush during um, autumn. And right along Shrefbogie Forest, you would have these huge plantations of. Um, uh, pine trees and in these pine plantations you would also get a bunch of pine mushrooms uh, slippery jack mushrooms and I mean all these are classic um, combinations with I would say game meats and I've always had this um, inkling to create almost like a habitat kind of um, concept when it comes to creating a plate of food um, basically, everything on the plate would somehow correlate with each other based on the habitat that they would live in. Wow, that's amazing. I want to, I want to explore this in greater detail a bit further on. But um, you mentioned Singapore. Take us back to when you were young. Where, whereabouts did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you? So I, I grew up in Singapore and um, I come from a background where I'm Peranakan. So um, I'm straight-spawn. Uh, Chinese descent. Um, interesting thing is uh, my family grew up speaking only Bahasa and English. Um, so food was a big culture in 
our family. Um, we had a lot of food um, related uh, festivals, and um, mom was always cooking in the kitchen. You see, so um, yeah, it was uh, it was a it was a childhood filled with a lot, a lot of food, and um, yeah, um, I mean. A simple thing is that, like, um, say for example, when I come home, a very classic question my mom would be would ask would be not was not how was school, or how was your day, but have you eaten yet? So food food actually played a very key, vital component in my family. Um, so you know, mom was always cooking at home, and I, I guess that's where a lot of that um, that influences from food and how my life is centered around food for all this time. Tell us a little bit about the food of your youth and also also Singaporean cuisine. Um, how, how, are there some dishes that sort of really exemplify it? Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so growing up, I, I, I did have... Um, it's strange because when I was a teenager, I realized that um, I always focused on eating more... Um, food related to western culture and um i mean you you grow you grow up and you're like oh you want to go to the the, the newest fast food outlet ju- that just opened you you want to try the new um the newest burger store but you know as i was growing up the older and older i got the more i realized that i i i deviated and i started focusing more on um my own local cuisine um Things like I'll give you a um, one of my favorite dishes is um, uh, the sambal stingray, right? So it's um, it's wings of the stingray, um, yeah. So it's wings of the stingray, uh, pan seared and then covered in sambal chili, and it's wrapped in banana leaves and then baked. So um, the the amount of flavor that goes into that dish from the sambal from the searing of the of the stingray to being wrapped with the aromas of the banana leaf was uh, is something that I would say is very classic Singaporean. Um, yeah. I, I also spend a lot of time eating um, things like laksa and all that kind of thing. And those are classic Singapore dishes that, you know, everybody knows about as well. When did you first sort of think of a career in food? Um, that's actually a funny story. So, I'm actually, uh, I actually went to university to be a computer programmer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it was second year of uni that I realized this is not for me. <laughs> um, I really got into it because I was like, oh, you know, I, I was really into gaming at one point in time. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, um, I'm going to come out of university. I'm going to be a computer gamer. Um, I'm going to program games, I'm going to create games and like, oh, it's going to be awesome. And second year of uni, I realized that there's a lot more to um, computer programming than I thought. And um, yeah, so I didn't really know what to do. Um, I had to go through national service in Singapore. So I went to the army for a couple of years. And after the army, I was like, oh, what am I going to do? You know, I, I didn't, I had no idea what to do. Um, I decided to take a, a, a gap year and um, I, I did a little bit of traveling. And when I was traveling, I realized that the one thing I focused on as a backpacker was what's my next meal going to be, you know, with the tight budgets and everything. And I actually spent a lot of time in the hostels cooking. 
and and even cooking for other backpackers. And I realized that this is something that I actually enjoy doing. Um, after my holidays, I came back to Singapore and I um, I tried out cooking. Um, well, I, I spoke to my dad about it, and um, my dad's old school, so for him. Um, he felt as though like, oh, you know, um, being a chef might be too blue collar. You know, you might be end up working for, you know, ages and ages and not be able to make enough. Um, he was like, are you sure you want to do this? You know, maybe you should try, you know, working as a chef uh, for a short bit before you, you know, actually decide on, you know, doing this and, you know, going to culinary school or anything. So um, that's, you know, I, I enrolled into... Um, before enrolling into school, I actually worked at the Hard Rock Cafe for about a full year, you know, as um, as a commie and um, doing basically all the basic stuff and going through the notions of trying to be a chef. And then, um, yeah, after a year, I came out of it and I realized, like, you know what, this is this is something I want to do, you know. Um, this is, you know, I enjoy doing this. I feel as though I'm, I'm getting better every day. And um, yeah, enrolled into culinary school, and that's pretty much the story of how I got into it. <laughs> Your um, butchery has been a real key feature, particularly early on for you. Tell us about butchery and your fascination there, and and what happened. Right. So um, when I was an apprentice, I was actually attached to um, the Swiss Hotel in Singapore. And the Swiss Hotel in Singapore has um, is a is a big hotel with many different outlets, and they would have a butchery department that would um, actually feed. Um, how would I say? Uh, they would actually give the um, portion meats to the rest of the other venues, so they would portion all the big cuts of um, uh, whole meats uh, into smaller uh, cuts for the other venues. And um, when I was attached there for about a month and a half, um, I actually picked up a lot of things that um, I never saw as even uh, a cook that, um, you know, whole meats would come in, whole cuts, um, whole lamb, uh, whole pigs, whole, uh, whole cows. Um, and we would portion and break it down into... Um, like smaller cuts and I really really enjoyed it um, just how I understood that muscle was always connected to some kind of other muscle and cutting along that would actually separate the meat from you know different sections and that's where you get all your different cuts from and I found a huge fascination for it and um, yeah I think that's how that all started um, yeah, pretty much that that was the beginning of that. And then um, as I got better and better at it, um, I actually enrolled for like butchery competitions for amateurs. And that was actually the pretty much the the real point where I started enjoying, you know, like almost butchering uh, competitively. <laughs> And this was then as a as a student, and um, yeah, it was uh, it was a good time. <laughs> well, you ended up winning a prestigious competition, butchery competition that was sponsored by Meat and Livestock Australia, which sort of changed everything for you. Tell us about that and what impact it had. Yeah, um, so that competition actually changed the trajectory of my career. To be honest, um, so I, I joined the Meat and Livestock Australia. 
uh, butchery competition, and it's held um, every year for you know under. At that time, I think it was under thirties with less than two years of cooking experience, professional cooking experience. Uh, you could join this competition, and there's usually some kind of um, scholarship program where you go overseas, uh, usually to Australia, and you visit butcher shops, you visit high-profile restaurants, and you would see how um, the meat and all that is processed in these venues. Um, so I actually joined it, and um, I managed to win it. So um, it was it was, a, it, it, it was great. And um, they said, um, I think the first, uh, they told me that, look, you've won a scholarship to um, being in Australia for a month. Um, you would be attached to, I think, if I'm not wrong, um, it was three or four venues. One of them was a butcher shop um, in Sydney. And then um, to Glass, I believe it was the, um, I believe it's the, the restaurant at the Hilton. Yeah, and also to, um, I believe it was a Cut or something like that. I can't remember. But yeah, and um, being through... Um, all the uh, the venues that I realized that oh wow it's it on such a different scale over here, you know um, it's like everything else like meat was so much fresher it was uh, it was a really good experience and at the end of it um, I think what happened was that um, I opted to have my details forwarded to uh, different headhunting companies that is associated with me and Lifestyle um, Australia. Um, and that actually allowed job offers to come in. And um, yeah, that actually, I, I took out a job offer that uh, sent me to Queensland. And um, it gave me a working visa for four years to live and work in Australia. And that pretty much started my career in Australia from there. <laughs> How different was life for you when you sort of arrived in Australia and started sort of working in the hospitality sector? Oh, mate, it's, it, was, it was amazing. Um, first of all, um, I, I guess six, uh, in, in Singapore, we work six days a week. Um, it's pretty much six days a week and you work uh, pretty much 11 12 hours a day um, so it was it was pretty hard um, m- when I first moved to Australia I realized that uh, the we generally work 38 to 45 hours and there was a different change in um, lifestyle for me and I really really enjoyed it um, because um, I'm, I'm a huge outdoors fan and um, when I first came to Australia I was already doing a lot of fishing in Singapore so I, I I continued fishing when I was in um, in Queensland as well, and it it I really enjoyed myself because um, I ha- I could have this work balance of you know still doing what I really love, and I could do and on my free time do all the fishing and you know all the fishing and outdoors that I could you know do you know it was it was really great. You've spent a lot of time uh, of your career in Melbourne and worked at some pretty incredible restaurants. Tell us, tell us about the move to Melbourne. How did it happen? Um, so after being in about, uh, I would say, I spent two winters in um, Queensland. And the, the, I was, um, when I first moved here, I, I was working in Noosa. And Noosa is a great venue. 
but it gets um, it gets really quiet during the um, the colder periods of the of the year. Um, during winter, it would be absolutely dead. It's quiet. Uh, there wasn't a lot of traffic, and um, I told myself that look, if I want to push my career a little bit further. I would have to come to a big city. It was either between Sydney and Melbourne. I did interviews for both places. On my days off, I would uh, catch a flight, fly in from um, from Queensland, fly fly into either C- Sydney or Melbourne, um, go for a trial on the same day, and um, yeah, and that was how it started off. Um, I think the first few places in Melbourne that I did go for a trial uh, was the point on Albert Park uh, the point at Albert Park um, and there's a big steak venue as well um, they uh, they're very proud of their steaks at, at that time and and um, yeah it was I, I thought it was a great opportunity as well and then um, I also interviewed at Circa the Prince and um, I think pretty much after about eight different trials did I finally land my um, land a position in um, Circa the Prince? Tell us about what it was like working there. You formed a really good relationship with uh, Paul Wilson during that time as well. Oh uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was um, it was a really good experience um, working there. It felt almost like it was a pace back in Singapore as well. Like Singapore is very very fast pace and moving to Queensland, Noosa, it felt as though it, it took a step down a little bit just to slow down. And then it felt as though it was going back into gear, into almost like competitive cooking again when I was in uh, back in Melbourne. And um, yeah, I mean, working among my peers, um, uh, it was a, it, it was, it was very high intensity and they, uh, they really, it felt as though it really brought out the best in me. Um, at that time, I think after about a year being in Circa, um, Chef Paul Wilson wanted to open um, uh, Cantina, Ackland Street Cantina. So uh, I took the opportunity and it was, um, it was great, as in it's really added to my repertoire of things that I would do. During your time sort of building your career in Melbourne, what's been the really sort of important people and venues um, as you sort of uh, carved out your career? Um, look, Circa was, has, was definitely my biggest step into uh, modern Australian cooking. Um, and then opening Cantina allowed me to learn a lot of these um, uh, like Mexican cookery. Um, I think the next big step was... Um, working with David Thompson and um, that was that was an absolutely amazing um, experience uh, it was very eye-opening to work with someone of his caliber and his approach on food and um, I think that was uh, that was probably one of the bigger highlights in my career as well um, he really focused on the flavor of food, regardless of uh, what someone or what other people might have the impression of. Say, for example, uh, I'll give you the example that um, we always get complaints about how spicy a dish is. And it's, um, yeah, and it's very interesting how he's go, he, 
he would always stick to his guns and go, but traditionally, this is not the flavor that they're going for. I'll give you an example. The, the green curry that we used to serve in Longchim um, by David Thompson had, per serve, we would have about six bird's eye chilies pounded in a mortar and pestle and added to the curry per bowl. And he was like, you know, every impression of green curry he felt as though is a sweet um, savoury concoction, which he felt was completely wrong. He was like, this green curry needs to be year-numbingly spicy and salty. And, like, and that's traditionally how it's always made. And it's scary how that even in Bangkok, sometimes people have forgotten that. Um, when we started Long Chim, we had, um, I think, 30 staff in there, and of which I think there were 25 Thai nationals um, who, who first started out. And almost all of them would say, this is the food my grandmother makes. Is no longer like anything of modern Bangkok, but this is the you know, as authentic as what their grandmothers would make. And for me, I felt as though it was a golden opportunity to be working under him and um, learning the flavors and understanding the flavors of what each dish needs to be. Do you have a story of what it's like to work with David Thompson that gives us a bit of an insight of you know what he's like? I always bring up this this thing, um, which is the uh, we have the same uh, we have the same inkling, and we really enjoy the same parts of a duck because <laughs> um, we used to serve uh, a roast duck uh, a roast roast duck red curry in the restaurant, and um, I would always be portioning the roast ducks which we made in house. Uh, we roast them, and then I would be portioning them. And as I'm butchering the ducks, he would always be standing right next to me, and we'll be picking away at the same parts. And it's interesting because it's parts not pe- like people don't really focus on. Um, the The strange bit is that when I'm portioning ducks, especially after they've been roasted and uh, based in flavor, my favorite part of the duck is actually the skin around the neck. And the um, the cavity of where the guts used to be. <laughs> um, I always found that there was a lot of like there's there's a lot of skin, a good amount of fat, and you always get a lot of the the flavor because the ducks are all stuffed with uh, f- five spice, uh, spring onions, and ginger, and a whole bunch of aromats stuffed into the duck and sealed um, through the cavity where the bum used to be. <laughs> um, and after roasting them, you would take out everything from there, you would portion the duck, and generally uh, that part of that cavity is cut out. And I would always go for it because I'm like, oh man, if I, if I get to ca- clean six ducks a day, you know, that's a, that's a lot of uh, offcuts that I get to eat. Um, and he would stand right next to me the minute he sees me portioning ducks and he would go for the exact same parts. And he was like, it's interesting that you like these things because these are actually the most flavorful parts of the, of the duck. You know, um, the neck is where you get actually the crispiest amount of skin, especially after you roast it in the oven. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was, it was a good experience, but it also reflects on 
how much he focused on flavors when it comes to um, eating something as simple as the roast ducks, you know? That's such a beautiful story. You, you, you spent um, some time at Coda as well. Um, what was that like? Oh, look, um, Coda was a, it was a, it was a great experience because um, it felt as though I was like, um, you know, doing Mexican cooking and then doing Thai food. And then I felt as though I was going back to almost modern Australian again, um, working for Adam De Silva. That he's a great mentor. And till now, he's still, you know, we still catch up over the phone. He looks out for my career. Sometimes he sees something and he goes, you know, have you thought of, you know, possibly working somewhere like that? And he, I mean, in terms of cooking, I came to Koda already knowing what I wanted to do in terms of food. But I guess um, Adam really taught me about being a leader, about being a personality in a kitchen, and also how to treat your peers like other head chefs and networking, which sometimes it's a little bit hard to come across somebody who teaches you almost adult skills. If, it, if you get what I'm saying, um, you know, he would bring me for events and he would introduce me to uh, different head chefs, different owners. And that really expanded my circle of, um, you know, people in the industry. 2020 was a crazy year for all of us on the planet. And um, it was a time when you made a move out of Melbourne to regional Victoria. Um, was what was that hard to get used to? Um, look, at that time, um, I didn't really have a choice, to be honest. And I think, yeah, um, after leaving Coda, I actually worked in uh, a small um, modern Asian restaurant in Richmond that ended up closing shop because of COVID. Um, and that actually left me without a job at one point in time. And I was like, oh, so we're in lockdown. Nobody's hiring and I don't have a job. What do I do? You know, do I, do I just sit back and wait for this whole thing to blow over or how long is it going to be? Um, I think I, I was sitting at home for my third month <laughs> and, um, you know, take, doing my 5K dog walks. <laughs> um, and, and then this opportunity came up from uh, a supplier that I got to know um, through Coda. Um, and he said that, look, uh, it was my vegetable supplier. And he said, um, there's this opportunity that has come up in regional Victoria. Is that something you're keen for? And at first, it was something that I was like, oh, I don't know. I've always wanted to make that move into, you know, working for wineries and seeing what that was like. But at the same time, I was always worried about the commute. And um, back then, I was, uh, uh, it was to this place called uh, the Trawool Estate in Seymour. And um, it was at that time an hour, 15 minutes from where I live. And, uh, yeah, I was worried before I went for the interview. And then after going to the, I went for the interview and I realized that it's a gorgeous venue um, that was um, along the Goulburn River, um, 
yeah, along the Goban River, right next to the Talaruk State Forest, and it was gorgeous. It felt like an oasis in the middle of everything. Um, they had um, the property is huge. I think it. I, if I remember correctly, it's twenty three acres. Um, is a thirty room boutique hotel with um, a possibility of two or three venues at least uh, in terms of restaurants. So, um, you know, I went for the interview and it was, um, I spoke to the owner, I spoke to the general manager and we, we discussed the possibilities of the place. And I think that's what really got me hooked. Um, you know, I, I've, I asked them what they wanted out of the place and they said, look, it's an open canvas do with it what you think you want to and then pitch us some ideas and then we'll see where to go from there. Um, there's a huge dam over there and um, I think the first few things after taking the job was I filled it with uh, rainbow trout. <laughs> so I bought rainbow trout from, I wrote, bought rainbow trout fingerlings from uh, Yarra Valley um, uh, trout farm and um, we bought rainbow trout and we filled that place with 200 rainbow trout <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was it was the first time doing things you know something like that. I wanted to create a stocking program for the lake, um, so guests could actually have the experience of going there, catching a fish, and actually bring it in into the restaurant. And for a small fee, the chef will cook it up for you any way you want. And I thought that that would be an interesting experience into uh, for guests. To experience that, you know, you can live in a venue which, you know, you can catch trout just in the lake, you know, next door, and um, and you can actually have it cooked for you. Um, yeah, so it was it was it was great. We had the opportunity to also uh, build a, a herb garden, a vegetable patch, and there was the opportunities and the possibilities were endless. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I had a really good time working with them. <laughs> <laughs> How did the job at Mr. Tompkins come about? Well, so, um, I think after about, uh, I was at, yeah, I, so I was at, um, the Trowel Estate for about three years and I felt as though, you know what, it's, my time is up and I felt as though I needed to move on to something bigger. Um, I did a couple of interviews in the city and um, yeah, I came across the Rendezvous Hotel. And when I first saw saw uh, the Rendezvous Hotel, I'm like, is this related to the one back home in Singapore? Because there is a rendezvous back home in Singapore. I'm like, hmm, interesting. So um, I went for the interview. I had a chat with the, the GM. Um, and uh, yeah, Joseph is a great guy and he's really supportive. Uh, I spoke to him about um, what I could possibly do for Mr. Tompkins, especially coming from Trawool Estate, Regional Victoria. I was coming with a lot of knowledge about like regional cooking, about you know cooking from uh, paddock to plate, and I think that really interested him in what I could do, um, especially when I told him that look. I know a lot about native ingredients because we grew some in um, the Trowel Estate. We added it into the menu consistently and we worked with a lot of suppliers um, 
when we were at the estate. So I still have a lot of these suppliers who are willing to supply us even in uh, Mr. Tompkins right now. Well, I know you're just getting um, started there, but um, what do you love about what you do? Well, I think um, it's great that I was a little bit hesitant moving in, moving back into Melbourne and going into like a big hotel group um, because I felt as though sometimes big hotel chains, you're locked up in the this is how we do things kind of mentality. But I think with the rendezvous and Mr. Tompkins and working with TFE Hotels is given me the opportunity that, look, this restaurant and this hotel is whatever you want it to be and we will support you, you know, regardless of wherever direction, whatever direction you want to take it. And I think that has allowed me to really expand on my creativity. Um, my first menu was uh, basically dipping my toe in the water and wondering how far I can push the envelope. And I think my next menu which we are going to launch for summer would be something a lot more focused on native ingredient and um, game cooking, which will focus a lot of my hunting background. Yeah, and I think the, the ability for me to be able to make that decision and not really be questioned because the company trusts that I can make a good decision for them is the best part about working for Mr. Tompkins at this point in time. Well, Eric, it's an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a part of your story. Um, look forward to seeing what you do with Mr. Tompkins. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Almost definitely. It was great talking to you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au and be well.